Monday morning. This is Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis uh, here on Radio 3. Well, the exit polls show that Crimea has chosen to become part of Russia. China will invest more than a trillion renminbi to redevelop shantytowns this year. And Vodafone agrees to buy Spanish cable operator Grupo Cooperativo Ono for some 10 billion U.S. dollars. So a very large purchase. And we'll get there in just a moment. And in news from the weekend, Alibaba chose New York for its much-awaited IPO, shunning Hong Kong. What does that mean for us? And China doubled the trading ban for the renminbi effective this morning. But first, Russians in Crimea appeared to be of one mind. Of course, we all majority of population here voted for Russia because we prefer to live in stable and peaceful country. We don't want to be with this Nazi who came to power in Kiev. That's why we prefer uh, Russia will defend us. And uh, why Western countries prohibit us to express our own will. That's why our choice is Russia. So we'll take a look at how geopolitical tensions there in Ukraine and Crimea and Russia affect global markets. Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, will be along. Also, local markets were pretty wobbly last week amid concerns over the health of China's economy. And so we'll be talking with Alex Wong, director of asset management at Ample Capital. And then we'll take a look at Tencent and Alibaba with Justin Weiss at uh, Societe Generale. First, the news. The West has condemned the referendum in Crimea. Voting has ended, and one exit poll conducted suggests that about 95% of ballots were cast in favor of seceding from Kiev and joining Moscow. We get more from the BBC's James Reynolds on the mood of respondents. They reflect uh, what my colleagues and I saw as we visited polling stations throughout the day. Essentially, anyone who made the trip to a polling station was by and large going to be someone who was going to vote in favor of a union with Russia. By and large, those who opposed this referendum believed that there was no point in them going to the polls. Just about a block or so away, there's an incredibly loud pro-Russia celebration in the main square. There are cars beeping uh, around me. Uh, there are people waving Crimean and Russian flags underneath the statue of Lenin. There's a small laser show going on and that party will continue. It's full of pro-Russia supporters. So further discussion with our economics correspondent in just a moment. But we wanted to tell you about this one from the weekend. The biggest online retailer on the mainland, Alibaba, has announced it will go public in New York. That ends months of speculation about where it would list. Uh, the decision is seen as a blow to us here in Hong Kong, as the city was the company's original choice. Altus Wong reports. Alibaba had been in discussions with local securities regulators since last year about a listing, but the plan was blocked by regulators as it violated the one-share-one-vote principle. Alibaba wants to retain control of the company following the listing, even though its management would only own a minority stake. The request has sparked a review on listing rules, but Alibaba decided not to wait for the outcome of the review. In a statement, Alibaba said it respected the relevant policy of Hong Kong. It expressed the hope that it will return to the mainland capital market in future when rules allow. The retail giant is expected to raise 15 billion US dollars in one of the largest share sales in history.
Hong Kong hasn't had an IPO of more than $4 billion since October of 2010. In some other news, Vodafone has agreed to buy Spanish cable operator Grupo Corporativo Ono for $10 billion U.S. dollars. The acquisition lifts Vodafone's offerings in television and broadband internet. The deal has reportedly been signed and will be announced either later today officially or tomorrow. And a headline this story, too, because it's a lot of money. China is to invest more than a trillion yuan to redevelop shanty towns this year. CCTV had a report yesterday saying that the developments will affect more than four and three quarter million households. The report said that the move was part of China's commitment to urbanization and was part of the economic reforms that were currently being rolled out. Let's say good morning now to Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Let me just tell you what's happening here in Asian markets, because it's part of uh, something I wanted to discuss with you about a somewhat muted impact uh, from uh, Crimea so far. The Nikkei down 41 points at 14,286. So that's just a drop of a third of a percent. We see about the same amount of uh, of a downdraft in Australia, where the ASX 200 is down 15 points. And Seoul is actually higher. The cost be there up about a quarter of a point. The dollar yen, 101.37. So so not a whole lot of a change there, although that is a little bit stronger yen against the dollar. So that means risk off uh, to a certain degree. And the euro is trading at 1.39 U.S. dollars. So that is the euro a little stronger against the dollar. So, Barry, uh, at least so far, the impact of this vote on uh, markets is is muted. Uh, do you expect that when all the markets open later today? Well, I think we're going to see quite an impact, frankly, because uh, this 2.4% drop we saw in the U.S. over the past week, I think, is the harbinger of uh, what we see of markets being held hostage to diplomacy. And the diplomacy hasn't gone anywhere. And I think that uh, unless this thing uh, eases off pretty quickly, we're going to see a continuing negative market reaction. Obviously, in terms of trade flows, um, we don't have a lot of trade with Ukraine uh, and and not all that much with Russia. It's down in the kind of one to two percent range. So that may be one reason why we're not affected and we might see a much stronger impact in Europe. But um, what, what do you think the vote uh, really tells you about what the Russian president wants? Uh, does he want a change in government in Ukraine or does he... Uh, does he just want to flex his muscles and he would back off and allow Crimea to just have a little more autonomy but stay in Ukraine? Yeah, I think, Brian, we really don't know. Uh, I think it could be both elements of what you've just said. He may want simple autonomy for Crimea. He may want to influence, clearly, I think he does, influence the Ukraine elections, which will be coming up. And he wants to make clear foremost that uh, he is not going to accept a Ukraine that moves dramatically closer to Europe and to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. I think that's his red line. Do you expect the West, the EU and the U.S. in particular, to impose strong sanctions against uh, key Russian leaders? Well, I do think that's coming because I think the West has sort of backed itself into a corner, and already you see lots of talk in the right-wing circles of the United States that Obama's toothless in this matter. I think he has to do something, and I think the Europeans are aware that they 
have to do something. But their options are quite limited, and I don't think that, um, look, if you, if you look at what they can do that sounds pretty good in the media but doesn't really damage things, then you could name some oligarchs and say, you guys cannot travel into the European Union. You can um, take some other actions short of stopping any kind of trade embargo. You can... Um, express very strong displeasure, as we saw in that U.N. Security Council vote. But I don't think that the Europeans or the Americans want to do anything that would risk the Russians dropping out of the Syria negotiations or dropping out of the Iran negotiations. The West needs Putin, and Putin needs the West, and this is a real diplomatic impasse in which so far, Mr. Putin has played his cards far better than the West. Well, doesn't that augur for a somewhat uh, more peaceful solution than some people have feared then? Yes, that is my expectation. You know, I like to emphasize the idea, Brian, that uh, the Ukrainians and the Russians are pretty close ethnically, culturally. And I think the last thing that either side wants there is a conflict. But you have to sort of flip this thing over and think of the United States or China having its principal naval base in another country. And that's been the case with the Crimea and Russia. And those soldiers, most of them, perhaps all, were already there. So I think that this gives Mr. Putin some negotiating authority that he didn't have it two months ago. And I think that he's sending a very strong signal to say, hold it. What the West did in those mass demonstrations in Kiev is not really the whole picture. Okay. Further, I think that the, um, I think the West is sort of boxed in by what they advocated and got in Kosovo vis-a-vis -vis Serbia. Okay, so this is a very serious discussion. We'll have to see what the impact is later today. It's kind of heavy for a Monday morning, so I thought I'd lighten things up a, a little bit. Uh, and I want, Good for you. I, I want you to listen to a few comments here. This will take a while to play out, and then we can chat about the U.S. economy because that will be heavy too. So in, in between, we'll have a little bit of fun. So sometimes I run funny bits on this program. This is from the least likely person you'd expect to hear some funny comments from Stanley Fisher, awaiting confirmation as the Fed number two, the vice chair. He was making a speech over the weekend at Stanford. But since then, I've been nominated by President Obama, but not so far confirmed by the Senate for the position of vice chair of the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, this puts me in a particularly weak position to talk about the problems of the day. The advice I've been given is there is no upside to saying anything interesting. That's the... Uh, so you gotta love that a politician or somebody similar to a politician <laughs> saying uh, I've I've been advised to say absolutely nothing. But he then did go on to talk about his ten lessons. I'm going to talk about ten lessons that I've learned from the last two two decades. Now, a speech has to uh, have some meat in it. Uh, there are vegetarians here, but it's. Uh, the vegetarian part comes in the last few lessons. The meat is in the first six uh, lessons. And uh, the request is to uh, not fall asleep before we get to the uh, lighter parts. So lesson one, fiscal policy also matters macroeconomically. Now, uh, word tells me that macroeconomically is not a word. But... 
But it is. Uh, and it is about things which relate to macroeconomics. That's the uh, definition in the Fisher uh, Directory of Economics. Um, it has always been accepted that fiscal policy, in the sense of the structure of the tax system and the composition of the government of government spending, matters for the behavior of the economy. But at times in the past, there's been less agreement about whether the macroeconomic aspects of fiscal policy, summarized, say, in the size of the full employment government budget deficit, have a significant impact on the level of GDP. One thing that is absolutely clear from the crises I've had to deal with and from the Great Recession is that cutting government spending and raising taxes in a recession to reduce the budget deficit generally makes the recession worse. Okay, so comments here from Stanley Fisher, awaiting confirmation as the Fed vice chair. And Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, is still with us. Uh, Barry, maybe not hilariously funny, but uh, some imagination and is quite good because we'll probably be hearing a bit from him when he finally gets uh, put in. But I wanted to ask you, is he going to be a dove? Oh, no. I uh, I think we have to uh, define terms, since he's defining terms. Uh, uh, look. He is a dove in the sense that he's a strong Keynesian and he is saying that, uh, you know, you don't uh, tighten your budget deficit when you're still in the midst of an economic crisis. And I think that's very much his view. He's going to be on the side of Ben Bernanke, his former Ph.D. student, and he's certainly going to be a strong ally of Janice uh, Yellen. Yeah, so it seems like he's going to be on, you know, if not slowing down the taper, but not rushing to raise interest rates. And, of course, the chairman has the most uh, say, So, um, it, but it does matter what the vice chair uh, says. And as you say, it looks like they're on the same page. Um, give me your overall state of the U.S. economy at the moment. Well, I think it's better than we would have thought. I think that uh, we've had now, uh, given this 2.5% drop in the Dow over the last week, I think we're now in correction territory. That's probably a good thing. All those people who are saying there's too much froth in the market can uh, point at uh, what's been happening, and this has been a very sharp sell-off. However, I think if you look at uh, the housing data, if you look at industrial production, we'll get more data this week. If you look at uh, home sales, if you look at auto sales, if you look at consumer confidence, you see a, an economy that is recovering from a horrendously bad winter. And I think that uh, we're going to see an accumulation of good economic news as we come into the North American spring. And just briefly, what might we see from the Fed this week? Well, that's going to be interesting. I think we will see a further taper. I think they want to uh, be absolutely clear that no surprises come to the market. I think the interesting thing is that Miss um, Yellen is going to take questions from the press after the two-day meeting on Wednesday, and this will be her debut. You know, they do these press conferences every four, uh, four times a year, so every three months, and she comes into this pretty quickly. And uh, she's got a lot of things that she could talk about. So I think no surprises in terms of the meeting, but I think uh, all eyes will be on Janet Yellen as she uh, faces the media. All right, Barry, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. 
Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Well, China's central bank has blocked plans by Tencent and an affiliate of Alibaba to offer virtual credit cards. The government is moving to tighten restrictions somewhat on online financial products. And we have invited Justin Weiss, an analyst at SockGen, to join us on this program. Uh, Mr. Weiss, good morning. I hope you're still with us. And if so, is this a major blow to Tencent and Alibaba, or is it just a delay while the authorities um, get their ducks in a row on regulation? I think we lost him. So let me go to Alex Wong, who is the director of asset management at Ample Capital. Um, Alex, good morning. Oh, good morning. Nice to have you waiting in the wings. Um, yeah, let's talk about that first, okay. uh, and then if Justin comes back around later, uh, probably just nipped out for a little uh, cup of coffee or something. Uh, this is sort of a major move, and it did it, it did hit ten cent last week. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about having to do with, um, mm-hmm. you know, the selling of late. But first, just briefly a comment on this. Uh, do you see this as a major blow to these companies or not so bad? Uh, I think uh, it's not so bad. It is just, just a delay. But I think uh, this would affect the valuation of uh, Tencent uh, for a while because um, I think it, it means in China doing business even on the Internet or, or you're doing something um, called disruptive innovation, you probably will need uh, some uh, political strength. So that's why I think people probably would um, would label uh, some some risk on Tencent or Alibaba uh, in that area. So that, that means uh, some discount on valuation, uh, even though I don't think uh, this would be a long-term thing. And just to briefly explain to people what it was, people were able to use their phones as like a virtual credit card using uh, QR codes, right? And mm. the government has just been a little nervous about that, so they have put a block on it. Is it only in Hangzhou and Shenzhen, or is it all throughout the country? Uh, I think it is only in, in, in certain areas right now, but I, later on, I think it would be the other country because this means uh, the, the authority does, does not like that in the meantime. And also, I think this is a... a probably due to the um, protects by the uh, Western interest right now. So the banks uh, uh, are not liking it. So that's why I think we are seeing such a delay. And another big move over the weekend, uh, the PBOC moving mm. to double the trading band for the renminbi. What's the impact of that in your view? Uh in the meantime, because we are in a, um, we are, we, the renminbi is, is under pressure for a while. So that, that probably would means, uh, we would see further weakness, uh, in renminbi in the short term. Uh, the move itself, I think, uh, is not, um, is not too, too bad or is it neutral. I think, uh, the, the, they, they would allow, uh, uh, bigger volatility in the renminbi, which is, I think, uh, something neutral, uh, uh, for the market. Does that but, shut down the hot money flows and will that be helpful in perhaps, uh, curtailing the growth of the shadow banking industry. Oh, yes, that would be, yes. And the reason is, is that uh, if if it's not a one-way bet in the renminbi going up, less money would come in, and that money that did come in, a lot of it found its way into these trust products or wealth management products that started to get too big? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the, the, the government is trying to regulate that uh, uh, for uh, in, in this year. For, uh, I mean, the new, new government actually is trying to regulate the shadow banking. Um, so that that's why we are seeing some uh, uh, tightening uh, continuing, even in a weak market. So I think uh, this, this problem would help a little bit on that regard. All of this is going to slow down the economy even further, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I think China is trying to take a hit first uh, before bottoming out and seeing some healthy growth. 
but because in the meantime, if you allow uh, things uh, like uh, before, then probably we will not see um, any consolidation in in those excess uh, industry with excesses. So that I think that's why uh, they would like uh, uh, to see a uh, healthy medium growth, uh, medium term growth, other than uh, rather than a short term uh, uh, strength. So you know you've been kind of bearish for a while. It sounds yeah. like what you think is that this might be positive for the economy, but not for the stock market. Uh, the stock market probably would would be pressure for for some time, probably for another uh, three to six months uh, in China. So, but uh, in the longer term, that that direction is healthy, I think. Now, just briefly on Alibaba uh, choosing to list in New York instead of Hong Kong, mm. how big a blow is that to us? That would be a big blow to uh, Hong Kong EX. Uh, we uh, probably would lose, uh, say, at least 5% average turnover growth uh, in the coming years. Uh, but uh, for for the technology stocks, I think that is uh, something not too bad uh, because um, Alibaba actually... Uh, well, in, in, now, well, nowadays, uh, if Alibaba do, does well in, in the US, then they will also have the sentiment in Hong Kong. So I don't think uh, that would uh, be a never negative blow to the technology stocks, but only to Hong Kong EX. I got a note from Mark Simon, who um, writes sometimes uh, about Alibaba, and he said this is this is um, this was in advance of the decision. But he said it would be crazy to list in New York because there's so many regulatory hurdles. The insurance that the directors would have to take out would be quite significant. And uh, he he said he wrote a piece that said, you know, long Hong Kong, but short Alibaba if they list in New York. Would you agree with that? Oh, I think uh, that. Depends on the uh, valuation of Alibaba when it got listed, because then uh, we are we are we don't know what what we will be traded at that uh, when at that, that time. So I, this is too too early to say. I'd say from the impact of investors, uh, who'd want to list in Hong Kong right now? Look at our market. It, it you know it's just been struggling for years, and the same thing with Shanghai. The U.S. has done much better. You know maybe that's um, what's wrong with our investors here. Why aren't we buying stock? Uh, no, uh, we, we, we are seeing a very polarized Hong Kong market right now, which is like, just like Asia. We had uh, some several strong sectors like environment, environmental protection, um, uh, Macau, internet, uh, healthcare. So we are yeah, even those sold off last week. Yes, we are very selective in in investment right now. We are we do not like the macro situation in China, but we we, we are okay with the micro uh, size. So that's why there are some uh, strong sectors in Hong Kong. So I think uh, when we got IPOs, probably we got IPOs in those strong sectors. All right, Alex, thank you very much for being with us here on Money for Nothing. More stimulating business talk radio here on Money for Nothing on Radio 3. Justin Weiss, an analyst at SockGen, joins us now on the line. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. Yeah, sorry, we lost you earlier. Uh, we were talking about uh, the move by the central bank to to put a block on plans by Tencent and Alibaba to offer these uh, virtual credit cards. Uh, first, in your view, is this a pretty big blow to Tencent? Well, um, it's, the market seems to uh, to think so, but you know, my view is that this, uh, at least it did on Friday, but uh, my view is that this is a, a, at worst a temporary setback. Um, I have to think that Tencent and Alibaba are going to be working as hard as they can with regulators uh, to uh, you know resolve whatever issues are out there and uh, uh, make the, the regulators comfortable uh, with these uh, payment mechanisms that they're trying to offer. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, they'll probably be approved. And uh, I think that that's going to enable uh, Tencent and Alibaba to play a role as kind of the 
mobile wallet of the Chinese consumer uh, going forward into an age when everybody's you know, walking around with a smartphone in their pocket and doing a lot of their daily business yeah. uh, via apps on that smartphone. The spoils would be would be great, would be high for sure. Um, but does it signal that maybe the authorities might also toughen up the financial products uh, sales, the wealth the wealth management products that they've been um, you know rolling out pretty aggressively? Well, I mean, you know, I think if, if you're a, a, a company anywhere, but especially in China, you always have to be sensitive uh, to the risk of, of intervention from regulators and, uh, and authorities, especially in the financial sector. Uh, you know, my view uh, is that I would be surprised if, if there was no pushback at all um, uh, from, from regulators who are confronting, you know, a, a wide range of new uh, means for completing transactions online that uh, maybe they're not familiar with and they uh, want to make sure uh, are safe uh, for consumers to use. And uh, on the other side of the table, I think the companies offering these products you know, are aware that they may have to clear some regulatory hurdles, and they'll be working very hard to, to do that. I don't see there being uh, any kind of uh, deal-killing uh, inflexibility on either side of the table here. Sure. It might uh, be... And I think uh, going... Yeah, I was just to say it might be good for consumers, absolutely, and it may be good for the company's longer term. But in the short term, will it uh, further hit ten cents share price? Well, you know that's not really where Tencent was getting a lot of its uh, uh, revenue and, and earnings from at this point in time. Uh, so I think uh, you know to the extent it does hurt the uh, the share price, it's based on people's view for what it means for Tencent uh, in the future, uh, and. Uh, my view uh, is that Tencent will be working very quickly uh, to resolve uh, whatever uh, you know, issues there are from a regulatory uh, standpoint. So ultimately, I think if we look a year or two down the road, um, this has probably been resolved and Tencent uh, can go on pursuing this plan of becoming you know, part of the, uh, the, 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 the daily uh, you know, uh, you know, transaction uh, I'm, I'm kind of talking myself into a corner here, uh, becoming part of the, the, the way that Chinese uh, consumers do business from day to day uh, uh, via their mobile phones. Yeah, I mean, you so could imagine, think- you could easily imagine Tencent or Alibaba becoming a bank. Um, you know, they have a higher trust level with uh, people in China than the state-owned banks do. Uh, that's probably a discussion for another day, but let's just briefly um, wrap up with Tencent. It moved down to 564 on Friday after being up around uh, 640 or so. Um, it, d- does it come under pressure further? What's your target on 10 cent? Where do you see it over the next few weeks? Uh, well, I have a neutral rating on 10 cent right now, and for a neutral rating, uh, we don't have uh, target prices um, uh, since you know we're, we're basically taking the neutral view. Um, my neutral view reflects simply that you know the stock was uh, well over 600 uh, uh, recently, um, and uh, simply took the view that maybe the uh, quarterly, uh, the Q4 results coming out this week uh, might show a little bit of uh, softness in the uh, in the online games uh, side of the business, yeah. which has uh, remained very important to Tencent uh, at this point, even though the future looks to be uh, a future based on, on mobile commerce uh, and mobile games. Yeah. Uh, Tencent remains very dependent on PC games. Uh, and to the extent there may be a little bit of a slowdown 
in some of the performance of Tencent's core older PC titles. Okay. I thought that might be something that the market doesn't respond well to yep. uh, with the stock at all-time highs. Okay, I got to uh, go. Yeah, we got to okay. go. Uh, it's, uh, look out below, really, probably, uh, for the Hang Seng Index, because Tencent's a big part of it. And uh, it was struggling even when Tencent was soaring. I own some of Tencent, just for disclosure purposes, but probably most of you do, too, because it's uh, it's there in the tracker, and it's probably in uh, almost all of the uh, uh, of the retirement products that you have. So, well, we'll wait and see, see how this uh, plays out. Money for Nothing at 830. Markets are right around the flat line. Not too much change. Gains more or less inside of a tenth of 1%. Weather today, well, it's going to be cloudy with visibility quite low in some areas. Some sunshine expected, though. Maximum temperature probably around uh, 19, 20 degrees today. No, 22 it is in the outlook. Sunny periods for the next few days. The news with Samantha Butler. The people of Crimea have voted overwhelmingly in favor of seceding from Ukraine and joining Russia. Election officials in Crimea said turnout had been high at more than 80 percent, and with half the votes counted, more than 95 percent of ballots were in favor of joining Russia. The BBC's Ben Brown reports. Here in 